McShane Bible Study Day 243. And this is the story of uh, David and Saul in the cave. And there, it's in. Yeah, it's in Engedi. Mommy and I have been there. It's it's really beautiful little place where the stream kind of cascades out of the out of the hills there in towards the Dead Sea. Have you seen the cave? I don't know. I didn't. I don't remember seeing a, a cave. Uh, we didn't. You know, we walked up to I guess a little swimming hole, waterfalls type spot, and walked back. But we did see. I I don't know if they were technically goats, but it says. Uh, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in the front of the wild goats' rocks. <laughs> we did have a couple of these animals with big horns uh, look down on us from, they were probably 20 feet away from us, but up on a, uh, on rocks uh, above us, <laughs> just looking down, watching us. That was kind of cool. Um, and so... Uh, <clears throat> What's I, th I think this is, you know, we just read it, and this is a fairly well-known story. But verse 15 says, May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Most anyone in that situation would say, and with, this is what his men said, right? God is giving you this chance to kill your enemy. Therefore, take it. And most anyone would have done that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like he was against killing. He's killed many, many people, right? Mm -hmm. But he so honors the Lord and so depends on the Lord that he says, the Lord made him king. Yes, the Lord has promised me I will be king, but the Lord made him king and I will not take that kingship for myself. If the Lord's going to do it, then he will do it in his way, and I will wait on the Lord. See how powerful that is? Mm -hmm. That total dependence on and obedience of God. That's the heart of David, and that's why God says he's a man. It's the only man God said this about in Scripture, that he's a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. He totally depended, believed in, trusted in, and waited on the Lord. And that's that's really the big thing in that chapter. And then we're looking at 1 Corinthians 5. And we see there's just rampant sexual immorality going on uh, in the Corinthian church. And uh, one of them is particularly bad. And, um, and so he's taking the rest of them to task. Um, and he says, hand that one over to Satan, first of all. But then he turns on them, on the rest of them who aren't necessarily doing this. But he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So they've gotten puffed up in pride mm -hmm. in who they are. Because they've had certain good things that happen through them, right? Mm -hmm. That they take pride on. Maybe they think they're smart, maybe they're good at spiritual gifts, maybe they, it could be anything, you know, but they've gotten puffed up in pride, mm -hmm. and he says, don't you know, a little leaven, do you understand the way he's saying a little leaven, leavens the whole lump? So when I make bread, I have yeasty, right? Mm -hmm. And I take a little bit of yeasty, 
and I put it in a big thing of dough, mm -hmm. and I give it time. Now, when I bake the bread, is just one part puff up baked, or does the whole thing puff up baked? The whole thing puffs up. That's right, because the leaven works its way through the whole thing. If it was just one part, because if you bake the dough without the leaven, without the yeast... It's, it's like flatbread. Yeah. So, it's, it's the yeast that causes the puffing up and the growth, right? Mm -hmm. So he says that that's, that principle is true in life. So he says when you allow pride, pride of self, John defines uh, the three evils of life as, um, oh, what is it now? Uh, one of them is pride of life. That's what I was going for. Um, hmm, I'm stumped. I believe it's uh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Okay. <laughs> Um, so things you see you want, that's like coveting, mm -hmm. things that your flesh wants, mm -hmm. or thinking you're something special, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Any of those things, John says, kill us. Paul here is saying it kills you. He says, don't do these things. He said, seven, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Mm -hmm. Right? So you just talked about flatbread, unleavened bread. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's the time of Jesus' Passover. Right? That makes sense? You're catching all this? Mm -hmm. And so he says, you, you, that is you. So remove the leaven of the world and of the enemy and of even your own flesh from yourself. Okay. Nine says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I, I, well, I'll just read to the end because he's going to explain it. So, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of the sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what... Has, okay, so he's saying, I, I'm, we don't judge the world by the same standards, and that's the last two verses. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside purge the evil person from among you. So he says the church, the body of Christ, the people of God are supposed to be holy and pure so that we can be a light in the darkness. He said, if this evil is running amok amongst you, it must absolutely be dealt with. It must be judged and dealt with so that you are a clean, holy people representing the Lord. Right? He says, but you don't apply that same standard to non-believers. They don't know these things. Right? Let the Lord judge them. Mm -hmm. We are to judge ourselves. You see that? Mm -hmm. That's um, <laughs> not understood by many. And then we're in Ezekiel 3. And uh, this is one of... Uh, this happens a few times in... Uh, 
in Scripture where uh, God takes somebody to his throne room or, or in whatever situation gives him a scroll to eat and it tastes like honey. This is, usually they say, then it's bitter in their stomach yes. as soon as they get there. But, but in this case, he doesn't say that. He does say later on, um, 14, the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. So I had this bitterness in spirit. I found that interesting. I never noticed that before because he didn't mention the bitterness in his stomach as a physical thing, but the bitterness in his spirit. I think if your stomach turns sour, it's, I don't know if you've ever had something like that happen where you just don't, you have a bad feeling in your stomach. I assume that's what they mean. They say that you just your stomach doesn't feel great. Um, verse three says, "And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it." Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Um, and so then he he sends them. He says, "I'm going to send you to my people." And you're going to speak my words to them, right? But he says, I'm not sending you to people of a foreign speech that don't understand what you're saying. They would actually listen to you. But my people are rebellious and they are not going to listen to you, right? But he says in verse 9, like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. So he said, I'm making you strong enough that you can go against them. even Because we just talked about this when we talked about... You asked, what is the world? And I explained that if you have a bunch of friends and they're maybe doing something that's not right, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to not go along with them. Mm -hmm. That's the world. Have you ever experienced that, Callum? Mm -hmm. Where your friends are doing something that's wrong and you know they shouldn't do it, but, um, but it's kind of hard to, to go against them because they're all doing it? Yeah. yeah, that's called the world. When we talk about the world and its influence over us, that we want the world to not have any influence over us, but we want to always follow the Lord. That's what that is. Well, he's dealing with that same thing. Do you think he wants to go to all his kinsmen? Oh, they're a people, they're the people of Israel that all of a sudden got taken out of their home country, and now they're foreigners in this land. They don't know all these foreigners. They have each other. Do you think he wants to go tell his friends and, and relatives what they don't want to hear? No. No, he didn't want to do that at all, right? But he said, God's saying, I am making you hard and strong enough to do this, and so you will do it. And then the Spirit lifts him up, right? The, the, uh, the living creatures lift him up, and, and he takes him away. So I, I don't know if this is teleporting or flying, <laughs> but the Lord moves him uh, to another part of that country, right? And then verse 17 says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Do you see the responsibility that comes when you're given authority in the Lord? He now has responsibility. He says, I've given you 
something to do, you need to be obedient to it. In his particular case, it was speaking a word to these people. And he says, their life and death, their eternity is now on your head. He says, if you don't speak my word, you're disobeying. And, and the sins that they, he said, they're still going to die, like I said. But the thing that is, the, the consequences are going to come on you. Or if you say that, if you obey and the person ignores you, the blessing is going to come on you because you obeyed. So in other words, it's, it's, it's not even important whether what you want or think should happen happens. It's important that you obey. Leave the rest to me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Hope that all wasn't too loud. It seemed loud. 21, but if you... Okay, we went over that. 23, so I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Chibar Canal, and I fell on my face. This was an important thing for him to experience because both of these things, they felt like they had the Lord had taken them out of Israel. And in those days, they felt like gods were gods of a certain land. And so if you went into a new land, you need to worship that God because that God was the God of that land. God is showing them, I am far bigger than that. That temple, I had this foreign government destroy. Mm -hmm. You think I'm dead? I wasn't stuck in that temple. I'm here now. And then he moves into another part of Babylon. He says, I'm here too. I'm everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. This is, it doesn't explain that, but this is a really big deal to him. Like, mm-hmm. wow, God is everywhere. He's over everything. He's not stuck in some temple. 25, and you, O son of man, behold, cores will be placed upon you and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. So he did this a lot to Ezekiel and a lot of prophets where he, <laughs> he made them, you know, had to sit around bound up. And I guess God is building the anticipation for the people to hear the word of the Lord so that when he unbounds his mouth, um, they're more likely to hear and understand that what he is saying is important. All right. And we're finishing it in John 4. And I'm actually going to take this in reverse order because uh, the thing that stood out to me in the second half of the chapter has to do with what we just talked about. Um, the, you know, the because the, the first part is the woman at the well, and then the, uh, the, the, the the reason he's speaking to her alone is they went to give her food. And so they, after he speaks to her, they say, here's some food. And he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they said, hasn't someone brought him something to eat? What's going on? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Mm-hmm. See that? We just talked about, just obey. That's what's expected of you. Mm-hmm. you. Don't worry about the outcome of that. That's up to God, right? You obey. God will do all the works he needs to do and will do. Some of them through our hands, some of them through other hands. Right? Obviously much more through other hands than through our hands. Mm-hmm. Right? Our part is to obey. And that's what Jesus is Jesus different than that? No, that's exactly what he said he did. He simply obeyed the Father and did what he saw the Father doing. And so he says, and then he goes and talks about the fields being uh, ripe for harvest. 38 says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So he says, others put a lot of work in. 
but they didn't see the fruit. You get to show up and you get to see the fruit. That's a pretty amazing thing, right? Mm -hmm. So this is all connected. In some things we work, but we don't see the fruit. In other things we show up and the fruit comes real easy. You're like, wow, that's amazing. None of it matters. Actually, I just passed on a, a word to our group this morning from, uh, it was uh, yesterday's word from my utmost for your highest, August 30th. Um, and it talks about if you get caught up in the work, if you see yourself, if you value yourself based on the work you do, you get, you're off track. We value ourselves based on our relationship with the Lord and our good standing with Him. It's the only thing we value ourselves on. You see that? Anything else is a trap. A trap of the world, a trap of the flesh, a trap of the mind, a trap of the heart. We value ourselves on our relationship with the Lord. Everything else is just what we're doing. Amen. And then going back to the woman at the well, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he says, I'm introducing eternal life to you. It's far above. Obviously, we all, our bodies need water to live. He's saying, I'm, I'm introducing you to something more important for your life. Mm-hmm. My life. Entering eternity. 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I thought that was kind of cool because we just talked about that in Ezekiel, right? He said, it's not about a place. God is everywhere. It's about your life. It's about entering into this life. 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is seeking a people that live for Him in this eternal life here and now, the spiritual existence of His kingdom, His family, not those caught up in the ways of the world and the flesh. See that? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we, we long to enter the fullness of this spiritual reality. Bless us and lead us, Lord. Cut off everything that would keep us from the fullness of your grace. In Jesus' name. Do you have anything else, Preston? Mm-hmm. No. God bless you. God bless you.